I have so been so been looking forward to hearing from this group of people because they are my inspiration in this whole issue of or concept, maybe I should say, of passion-driven learning and leading. And I am really looking forward to hearing this conversation and having all of us become part of it. So I just want to quickly do a couple of intro things. If you could quickly give me a green check if this is your first time in Illuminate, if this is your first time in Illuminate, so that I will know how much I need to say about this. Just a few green checks there. Most of you are familiar with it. So um, you know how to type in the chat. I think that I'm going to just go right on to the tip Steve shared early in case you weren't in the room. There will be so much chat flowing by that I would strongly encourage you to go up under view layouts and select wide layout. And that gives you a fighting chance to see what's passing by you so quickly. But um, you're completely in control of that on your own computer. So if you go back and forth and change your layout, it isn't affecting anyone else. But just do whatever works best for you. Also, I don't think we're going to be doing any application sharing, so I'm just going to skip right over that one. I do want to let all of you know that we are recording all of these sessions, and that the reason we can do that is because we have this really generous um, gift given to us by Steve and by Learn Central and Illuminate to be able to have a separate room for each session. That's why we had you log out and then log back in so that we can have individual recordings of all of these sessions. We've had anywhere from 170 to probably 250 people in the rooms at different times today. So it has been a tremendous success. And um, we want to be able to share those recordings with you and and allow you to share them with your colleagues. So as soon as we can get them processed and posted, you'll find them on the Moodle. And we do want to take this opportunity one more time today, one last time today, to say, show us where you are in the world. Click on that blue wand with the red starburst, and click on the map where you're located. We've just had tremendous participation globally all around the world today, and that is amazing. And if your dot doesn't go right where you want it, just click and drag it to get it to the place you want. Maybe you're putting the dot where you wish you were instead of where you are. I'm not quite sure. But we have had people who have joined us today whose time zone is the middle of the night. Now, I just think that is incredible dedication on the part of teachers. And it just gives me goosebumps to know that you are all taking this much time out of a Saturday to continue learning in connecting with other educators. That is passion. You're absolutely right, Angela. So thank you so much for posting that. And with that, we are ready to move into our panel, Steve. So take it away. Thanks, Peggy. Thanks, Peggy and Kim, for all that they do for the Saturday Live Classroom 2.0 shows and for what you're doing here today. Uh, this is really fun to be here. We have some limited time. Uh, we have until 30 minutes past the hour, so that's about 45 minutes. And so we're going to move along pretty quickly here. Um, I'd like to start by having each of our panelists introduce themselves, and we'll go in alphabetical order from the top there. So George, you actually get the first slot because of using the add sign. Um, but have you uh, introduce yourself within the context of this topic? Um, taking a short minute or two, and then we'll move right into sort of the, the themes for the day. We're going to take questions as we go along. Uh, the best way to ask a question is to put it in the chat, and we'll try and capture those. Um, you are also welcome to use the hand with the green up arrow that's at the bottom of the participant window um, uh, if you want to take the microphone to ask a question. But given the time, I think we'd prefer if you put it in the uh, chat, although we'll take either. Okay, so George, can we start with you? A short introduction uh, specific to within the context of passion-driven education. 
Hey everyone, uh, thanks for the opportunity to come talk to everybody today. I'm really excited about this panel. Um, my name is George Cross, as Steve said, and um, I'm a principal in Stony Plain, Alberta, Canada. It's just outside Edmonton. I get to work with K-12 kids, absolutely love them. And I think um, my big thing about passion here is that's something that was passed down from my parents who were from Greece, uh, immigrants who own a restaurant for about 40 to 50 years. And uh, it's, it's that love for people that I know that I've inherited and I know that uh, my parents always wanted you to, to smile and enjoy what you did. And I've tried to do that just to, in, the, in the context of school. So my big thing is not only working with kids to find their passions, but all my staff uh, that I work with to help them find their passions too so they can relay that to the kids. So thanks for, again for the chance to talk today. I'm looking forward to the session. Angela, you're next. Hey, um, I'm Angela Myers, and it is just amazing to see 160 passionate educators in this room, and to be of this panel is an honor. So I, um, I am so passionate about um, this topic, but I am so in love with children and so in love with teachers and this profession, and it literally breaks my heart to see it disappearing. We are not only losing great potential of genius minds in our classroom, their hope, the people they look up to every day, they're losing their heart. And I am on an absolute, you know, relentless mission to remind teachers and leaders they have absolutely everything they need to change this system within the system. They do not need Superman. They just need to be reminded that they have always loved kids and that they have always done this for the right reason and to rally around that. So thank you for letting me have another minute of your day. Hi, I'm Lisa Nielsen. Um, I'm the author of the Innovative Educator blog and I became incredibly interested in passion-driven learning because I was a extremely frustrated student who believed everything I was told in school and hurried through school getting all A's and doing great on standardized tests. And I did everything really fast because I thought that would be better. And at 19 years old, I had graduated college. I had the diploma in my hand and had no idea what I was going to do next. I had no time to figure out what I was passionate about. And I realized as I reflected that no one in all of my years of education had ever bothered to ask. And as an adult, realizing that I had been duped by the system and very upset about that, I made it one of my, um, one of the things that I really focus on to ensure as best as I can that this does not happen to other students and that we keep at the forefront that what's important is to discover the passions of students and help them learn through that. So I'm very excited to be able to talk to all these other great panelists and the 160 participants about this topic today. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, George, Angela, um, Amy, and Lisa. So let's if we can, oh wait, Amy, did you go? Not yet. Oh, go, sorry. <laughs> No problem. Um, I'm Amy Sandwald and I'm a former passion-driven teacher. Just the kids taught me what passion-driven learning is all about and that's how the clubhouse classroom came about. Um, now I'm a principal of a K-8 school and soon to be principal of a passion-driven Blessed Maria Sunta Palata Middle School in Iowa and I just can't wait because I get to start a passion-driven school. So I'm going to have to ask some tips here from the, the panelists and from the participants. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> My racing shoes were laced too tight. I was worried about getting through everything. Okay, so um, I think what I would suggest is that we, um, as I'll throw out some questions here, and maybe as panelists, if you wouldn't mind um, thinking about maybe one or two people addressing each question, uh, knowing that there's going to be more that could be said, but we want to kind of move through things. Uh, and then uh, for each section, I'm going to start with a, a section or topic, um, we'll kind of but pause for Q&A from the audience. So I want to talk first about the larger cultural context. 
and the degree to which um, there may be larger cultural forces here shifting us away from sort of assembly line models toward individualization and customization, uh, and the shifting from the needs of the institutions toward the needs of the individuals. How much is that a part of this story? And how much have our schools reflected our larger culture? And, and do we see this changing? So I'm looking for a volunteer from the, the panel. Uh, I'll take that. Sorry, that, Steve. Um, kind of looking, I know as an administrator, I do read a lot of books about um, leadership and what great companies do and, and things like that. And if we're looking at our culture right now and we're looking at successful businesses like Google, for example, you can see that kind of their business model is, is they're, they're going and finding the innovation of the people that are in, that, um, in, in their operation. So for example, that 20% time where people just have that time to go and go in and, and kind of follow their passions of what they love and what they do and that's what's driving that innovation. And so that kind of that mindset that we're just having um, kids do the same thing all over doesn't really lead to like, you know, the problems that we have in the economy, the, the things that we're seeing in our world right now. We have to fix this somehow, and we know that if we're really going to do this, we need to have innovative kids that are doing things and going on uh, past, you know, the idea of that a kid just becoming, you know, working at a gas station, but these kids going on and doing some amazing things. And I think that when we look at our future, our best investment is obviously our kids. So how do we get them to do that really great thing? And if you want to be great, it starts with passion. You have to love what you're doing. Lisa? I thought that would be an effective way to say I had something to say. Um, I think that one of the problems right now with education is we're trying to do what's convenient and easy, but not what's right for our children. And it's much more easy and convenient to measure students if we're all measuring everyone the same way. And the course of studies that is necessary for one student is not necessarily the course of study available for other students. And I think a simple thing that we could do is switch the ratio of electives to required courses. And I think it's really important in K to 6 or K to 8 for students to figure out what they're passionate about and then to have the option to really focus on their areas of passion once they reach secondary school. And the system right now is not designed for that, and I think that that's a shift that needs to happen to provide students with more freedom and more choice. So I'm curious as to how universal this is, because those stories of those companies you know, are great stories, but do they represent the majority view? And, and within the context of wondering sort of what the mix will be, do we believe that everybody, that passion is universally important to everybody, or is it related to personality types? Steve, I'm going to take that because I happen to be in um, a conference right now, Steve and I were a part of, with about a thousand of the most influential bloggers, businesses, and um, I would say web and world trendsetters from Chris Brogan to Steve Farber to um, Zappos to big companies here, and this is and I and I was at TED two weeks ago in the Silicon Valley, and in both of these forums where literally the world is being created by these individuals and organizations, I cannot count how many times passion was the point, the topic, the conversation that wrapped everything that every business in every industry is talking about. And I put this in the chat. The obsession with measuring must switch to the obsession with mattering. And where companies and individuals and innovative organizations are going is they are putting all their research and development, all their money, all the algorithms and analytics they use are understanding what matters to people so they can be a company that is built on the loyalty because they matter to people, not because of the products they sell. And if we want to stay in business, the bottom line, if we don't matter, 
someone else will matter to them. If we don't secure their hearts, someone else will, because that is the only way we will matter as an industry and as an individual. Amy, did you want to address this? I was just going to say that um, it's very difficult, though, because in schools we, re we reward the exact opposite. I mean, we want kids who will raise their hands, who are compliant, who behave well. And Westby and Dawson did some research, and we actually they actually found that we reward the exact opposite of what we say we want from our students. We say that we want creative, innovative, passion-driven students, but what we really reward is the exact opposite. So that's a question I'd like to put out to our participants, how do we do that? And as school leaders and principals, George, how do we ensure that our teachers are rewarding the passion and not always the compliance? So I think you've spoken to something, Amy, really important that is uh, in your book as well, The Passion Driven Classroom, uh, that doing this is much harder. And so it does seem as though, uh, say in the business world, we sometimes choose price over matter um, because we want to save the money or we want to get something done in a faster fashion. So how do we help ourselves work on the things that matter, knowing that oftentimes the more expedient, sort of easier thing is to not work with um, uh, finding passions and helping to build them? I think that's where um, the word program, you know, we, we spend a lot of money in, in education on programs. I'm going to do this program to help my students achieve. I'm going to purchase this program. But if you get to the heart and the minds of students, that's where the real, the real learning occurs. So I'm interested in what the other panelists think about that. I know, Lisa, you did some awesome, awesome things with students with their passion projects. Okay, I just need a little help on which of the things. Are you talking about the student-centered learning work that I was writing about recently? Or I'll just assume you were talking about that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, basically, it has to do with the idea that, that it's not teachers who own the learning, but that it's students that own the learning. And one of the things that has been very successful for teachers is to tell the kids and be very open about the learning goals and then partner with students about how to achieve those goals. And the goals are the same for the students, but the way they go about that is different. And that's where you can tap into their areas of passion. And it might be that they use a certain technology, or it might be that they learn through the thing that they're interested in. But teachers always speak about how difficult it is to differentiate learning. But the reality is if you partner with students and give them ownership, they do some amazing things as a result. And I'll paste in um, the writing I did recently on that topic at, along with some teachers and schools that do that work. So we're going to keep moving on. George, uh, did you want to make a quick comment? So yeah. I might go. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say something. Amy was kind of talking about uh, rewarding or rewards and kind of that culture that we have. I think that it's essential that we, when we use the term rewards, we're really thinking about that. Like, is that something that is going to benefit kids in any in any manner? And I see that a lot of schools are talking about, you know, finding the passion of kids and and uh, you know, kind of being individualized. But then they have these award ceremonies that um, don't honor those passions at all. They actually say, hey, your passions are important, but we actually honor when you do well in English. We honor when you do well in science. Not that you're, we're honoring that you're doing what you love. And I think when we have those award ceremonies, you're often taking these kids, like we, we, we've done awards, I know schools have done awards, but they don't award music or they don't award art. And so all these kids have these really great things that they're doing and we're saying it's important, but then we have these award ceremonies that don't directly say it, but indirectly say it, and kids see that all the time. And we have to make sure that we're not doing, I'm totally against award ceremonies to be honest with you, 
what I'm about is connecting with kids individually and talking with them. And I know in larger schools that might be harder, but you still can do it. And that's what teachers do is that they have those conversations. And the reward to the kid is they're following what they love. That's all you need. That, that's, that's, that says it all. It's not about giving a reward or a certificate. It's about they get the chance to pursue what they love. So is there a larger sea change issue here? Meaning, this is our last cultural question. Does the fact that the web allows you to pick something passion-based in the long tail and be able to do it and be visible, is that making a tangible difference in our being able to tie uh, practical outcomes to passion-driven learning? Have I stumped the panel? Uh, no, no. I'll take that. I think that it, it's, um, if we're still talking about the cultural thing, the web not only demands participation, the web demands contribution. So another way, another dimension of this passion-driven work, and I'm putting this link in the chat, is it's, not, it's even bigger than just lining up individuals with their passion because they, they absolutely, the web has opened that up. I mean, literally, you can find a community passionate in the most um, narrow of niches, like the most specific thing. You can find a group of people that, you know, like care about buttons. I mean, literally. Um, so that has definitely changed because you can find clubs about anything online. The idea that what would drive kids to do um, really deep driven work, really engaged work beyond their, their current status quo stuff is when the mission or the work itself is big, not necessarily the topic is big, but where people gain empowerment is when they're doing work that matters and work that is respected and the world respects work that helps change the world. So I just put in a project that, you know, 12-year-olds um, did. It's not so much that they themselves were passionate about literacy. In fact, some of the boys that were on there said to me they didn't even like to read. And yet, when they were a part of this mission to be a part of the world working together to bring attention and eradicate illiteracy, they became very passionate about helping and using their talents towards a greater good. And the web offers kids' contributions to matter, not just like a giant refrigerator, um, but to really do something that matters and changes the world. Go ahead, Lisa. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to put a link in here to what I'm about to talk about, but I just wanted to piggyback on what Angela was saying about how great it is that the Internet does allow us to connect with other people who share our passion. And it's not just adults that are doing this. And that link that I pasted there um, highlights a student whose name is Armin McFadden. And starting in elementary school, he had a passion for buses. And as Angela said, whatever it is you're passionate about, you can find a whole community. And in elementary school, he started chatting on bus discussion boards. Um, in, by the time he was in middle school, Oh, someone oh, has their mic on. Okay, it's on. Um, but by the time he was in middle school, he started a blog on buses, and then he started a video show on buses, and now he's in high school. And he's built this whole reputation and network of people virtually and in person about his area of passion, which I think is incredibly important. And he explains in that post that I shared how he really learned every subject through that. He read about buses. He talked about buses. He interacted authentically about buses. He made videos about buses. And I think that it's never too early to start, and we need to start tapping into that as early as possible. So I think this is fascinating, and in large part because uh, when I graduated from high school, I think the institutional world kind of depended on me not being passionate that I would go to work for someone else and I would uh, follow someone else's lead. So well, let's leave the cultural. And I, I want to shift to the students here. Uh, if you had a question about the cultural and I missed it, please feel free to put it in the chat and we'll come back to it. We'll also try and do some Q&A at the very end. But we are running here. Um, we've done in our family the color code test. Uh, we do it about once a year uh, in an evening and have ice cream. 
And what's intriguing to me about that is that when we do it, it's as though there's a collective sigh in our family. We don't have to be the same. Everybody kind of gets re-excited and recognizing the differences in each other and supporting each other. Does that happen in the classroom that's passion-driven? Um, I'll, 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 I'll say an example because I'm really big on sharing examples as opposed to theory with this. Um, I know a few people were talking about it earlier. What, what we've done in our school, and it's been a great focus, and it's, it's really helped a lot, was we did this thing called Identity Day at our school. And I know several people in the room will know about it. But it was about a kid being able to take something that they loved and doing a project about it and sharing it with everyone else in the school. And uh, what we found is that when the kids were doing this, they were to so empowered. And you really you had no coaxing because you just said, these kids get to do something that they love. So you saw you know, grade two girls talking about BMX biking. You saw grade five boys talking about becoming an inventor. So it was all this stuff about what they loved. And what it turned out to be is that we, when we got to see this, we built these stronger connections with these kids. Because a lot of times we're trying to um, find something out of this kid and find something that motivates them, when in reality we just have to kind of look because there's something already there that ignites them. So we have to start doing those types of things more often in school. Oops, we have an example right here in Iowa. Our seventh grade students, we had a real, a real life learning. You know, it doesn't have to be an individual passion. Sometimes it can be something that's right, right on your corner, literally. We had a liquor store that was supposed to go in one block from school, and the students decided that probably wasn't a good thing. It had nothing to do with the parents, nothing to do with the teachers. But the students decided they really didn't want to see people, quote, carrying beers during recess. So they um, podcasted, they petitioned the city hall, and they really made a difference. And the man withdrew his his ordinance or his um, application to be to have his liquor store one block from school. So not only do we have to look at you know what what's already there, but what's what's right in front of us in our environment. Is it realistic to think that every student can find a passion? Um, I'll take that question. I love a model that's called the school-wide enrichment model. I don't know if people are familiar with it, but if they're not like everything, you can Google it. Um, and I've been to several schools where they're following that model. And I've been to elementary schools, and the kids I talk to say, we are so that that model is based around finding your passion, and the kids come to school knowing that they have to find their passion. And I talk to first, second, third, fourth graders, and they say, "I was so scared when I came here because I didn't think." Well, they call it finding your passion or talent, and they were like, "I'm scared. I didn't have any passions or talent." And even as you got a little older, of the kids starting, they had that was just never a question. And then they all shared that they were so excited that they had found their passions and talents. And this school gives you a chance to every semester, if you want to change, you can. But they're exposed to so many options. And as Amy was saying, a lot of them are community-based options and issues as well. So it brings the community into the school also. And there is not a single kid that through halfway through the year had not found something that they're passionate about. Can I add to that? I think that's a, a really great point, Lisa. I think another layer to that is one of the, because part of passion is finding topics that you like and content and individuals you like, but I think the deeper rooted drive that is at the core of every human being is to know that they matter to another human being, and more importantly, that they matter to a community. And you are willing to do whatever. Look at us on a Saturday afternoon, 175 of us. We have a lot of things to do on Saturday, but look at where we're at. So we're not here for a topic. We're here because this matters. This work matters. So maybe another way to layer it is positioning the proposition to kids is that this year is not just about finding what you love and what you're interested in in a group, 
but you are responsible for finding how you will matter. Finding how you will matter. Because the world believes you matter and you need to show the world that they're not wrong. So I wanted to throw that in. I just want to add one thing to what Angela is saying. Um, and it's obviously so important to know that you matter. And you make me think of another school because I love looking at these great models of school. And it's called Nuestra Escuela. It's based in Puerto Rico and the school is growing like crazy. And they take all the kids who are basically the throwaways that have dropped out or are coming out of jail. And they bring these kids in and they start with love. And that's the, and if you look at the school and the model, it's all about love and showing every kid they matter. And until these kids feel like they are loved and that they mattered, you can't go anywhere that makes any sense. And then the second part is that they help them find their passion. And the third part, which is really cool, is they help them think about an entrepreneurial venture uh, around whatever it is that their passion is. So I think um, that's just a really good, also as George was saying, a really good concrete example of that in action. So Jennifer Fox in her strengths-based um, learning model talks about things that we're good at and things that we like to do. Uh, when does passion follow the gaining of skills and when does it precede it? And is that a distinction worth making? Okay, if no one's taking that, I'm going to take that. Um, when you're doing work that matters and you're being, because um, the root of passion is to suffer. So when you're doing something that matters with people that matter, you're willing to suffer. You're willing to, you know, stay up late and, and work extra and put more time in and study more because it just matters and the people matter that you're doing the work with. So when you look at that skill set of, of how much more are you going to read and you're going to research and you're going to write and you're going to study and you're going to analyze and you're going to evaluate, you can't even put a bar on how, how high you'll go, how far you'll go, how hard you'll work when you are doing something that matters. And that is even a deeper drive than, you know, just simply doing something you like. So this morning I showed a picture of the physical shift with this with kids, and of course we don't have this slide, but I'll send the deck out this afternoon. Um, there was kids working engaged. Um, these were kindergartners or first graders, and they're working on writing, and they've studied the attributes of writing, so the six traits of writing, you know, voice and structure and organization, and there's 17 standards on the wall. This is what good writing is. This is what good writers do. And then, you know, they were working and they were listening and they were engaged and it was authentic, but I don't think it mattered yet. And so then I said to them, so what you are working toward is all this hard work on your writing is we need to make it worthy of the world. And I just use the acronym WOW. So one more attribute that we're adding to the list of standards is this, this is good writing according to the standard, but good writing according to the world is that your voice is going to matter to them. And they looked up at me and they're like, like the world? Like what do you mean the world? And I had in the back of the lesson going this tweet stream because I sent out a tweet that, you know, we're working this week on getting our writing worthy of the world. And then all of these tweets from all around the world, you know, we can't wait for your writing. We can't wait to hear your voice. We can't wait to hear what you're thinking and what you're learning. And the next slide in the image is these kids absolutely physically transform when they knew that they were getting their work ready for the world to receive their knowledge, their passion, their genius. And they're like, oh, we're not ready yet. We need to work on this further. Can, can we have another day before we send this to the world? And the amount of drive that they were willing to do, well, we've got to read another book and we've got to do this, that is transformative. So George, you've raised George, your hand. You've only got 15 minutes. So I want to make a big shift here. So please go ahead please and, then we're go ahead and shift over to, uh, to uh, another topic. Another topic. Um, just kind of like, just kind of one of my own experiences. I was uh, probably about five years ago. I I switched school divisions, and uh, I was pretty much done teaching. I was kind of sick of it, and I thought I'd give it one last crack. And um, I had a principal who totally inspired me in the way that she kind of saw what what I loved 
and she ensured that she gave me an opportunity to kind of follow that passion within school. And so the reason why it was so so amazing to me was because um, she would she would do things like I was brought there to work with technology, and she would say things like I had a schedule that just wasn't going to work. And I said to her, "This this isn't going to work. I really want to try something else." And she said, "Go for it. Do whatever you need to do." So she actually let me change my 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 school schedule. And so what happened with that, and why I'm trying to telling the story is because. She did these things, and um, I would do anything for her because she she really tried to ignite that for me. And so, like in report card time, when every teacher hates doing that, I would still do that work because she she thought better of me. And so, in schools, we still have curriculums to follow, and right or wrong, that's kind of the reality. And as a principal, I I'm I'm um, I have to be accountable to those outcomes. But when you give people the opportunity to find that passion. They, they tend to go that extra mile in everything. So maybe math is their passion, but when you give the kids the opportunity to explore that, they find that they're, they really want to share that learning and do well in those other areas as well because I, I've experienced that firsthand myself. So George, in answering the one question you steered us right where I wanted to go. So can you have student, can you have passion driven learning for students if you don't have passion-driven teaching by teachers? I think that absolutely not. Um, you have to be a passion-driven teacher yourself. And we have to, as, as principals, the principals that are out there, thank you for joining us. And we have maybe four or five in our group. We have to allow our teachers to practice their passions and to show that to their students because what a great model that is. I mean, it may not be explicitly in the curriculum that teacher XYZ is really good at such and such. However, if they bring that passion to school every day and, and model that, then they're going to develop a whole lot of apprentice XYZs in their classroom just by modeling. Go ahead, Lisa. Okay, great. Um, and I wanted to say on the other side of that, if we don't give teachers the opportunity to be passion-driven and to allow their students to be passion-driven, I think that is a huge reason that there are teacher retention issues. And I'll put another link into a story I wrote about that topic for the Huffington Post where I talked to a teacher and she said, I had come to see what she was doing. She was doing amazing work, and the kids were incredibly passionate about what they were doing. And she said, you know, this is great. Um, actually, she talked to me privately about this, and she, she said, this is great, but when we come back from the break, and that would be in February, the whole rest of the year, all I'm able to do is test prep. And she said, I hate to see the light go out of my students' eyes, and it goes out of my eyes, too. And I don't think I could do this to myself or to them much longer. And so I think when we take the light out of our teachers' eyes and out of our students' eyes, we are not doing what's best for schools um, or children, but we're doing what is most convenient for schools, and that's something I hope will change. And uh, to to kind of add, like I saw a question in there. Someone said I. Um, like there's there's a lot going on in our school, and I think that it's imperative that you give teachers the opportunity to not only follow their passions, but to be to lead in those areas. And uh, one of the things that we do in our school is we actually have four focus areas that are based upon our school division on special education, technology integration, uh, character education, and um, there's one more there's one more that's slipping my mind right now. But what we do with our staff is they actually lead our professional development based on their passion area. So I say, here's the four areas that we have in our school. I want you to go to what you, you love, what you really want to focus on, as opposed to the area you feel weakest, is what we often do with teachers. We put them in situations where they, they're not really excited about a topic, and then how is that going to filter out through the schools? So when we do this stuff, um, you see the teachers that are most engaged about things that we all need to do, and they are they do some amazing things because they love what they're doing. 
And it's really important that as an administrator, I'm actually one of the I'm one of the people that's on a, one of those professional development teams, and I'm in tech integration. But um, when we have those teams, I'm not the boss of the team. I'm just one of the members, and we kind of build these things for a school based on who loves them. And so we need to like it's not even about allowing our teachers to do this, but giving them opportunities to show that leadership because they're they're getting that purpose in the school. And what I'm seeing in our school is that. Our teachers are doing these things and they're following what they love and it's filtering to their kids because they're seeing how effective it is for the development of our school and it, it's, it's transferring down to their students. George, I love how you just keep steering us right in the right directions. But I want to get to schools and Tamara asked the question about schools. But before we do so, let's say I'm an educator and I'm not in a passion-driven environment, um, but I want to reignite my own passions. Uh, and I give a conference workshop on this called Teacher 2.0. And it's not uncommon for somebody to come up afterwards and say, I, I can't even remember what my passions are. How do I figure them out? What advice do you give? Steve, I'm going to oh, take that. Oh, oh, oh no, go ahead, Amy. Is that you? No, it was Lisa. No, it was Lisa. But, oh, Lisa, take. Okay, I, I was just going to say, and I will um, put a link to this as well. But I, I've had teachers come up to me and say that very thing, and they've actually said, "Don't tell anyone, and don't tell my principal." And I'm telling you this confidentially, but I don't have, you know, I've lost my passion. My students have lost my passion, and I don't know what to do. And these are always inspirations for articles that I write. And so I wrote an article um, about all the schools you can actually teach at that are passion-driven schools. So I would say stop torturing yourself. And unfortunately, if you're working for a leader that doesn't allow that, it's very difficult to change it on your own. I've tried that, and it doesn't work. So I will publish a link to a large variety of schools that are passion driven. So that's one option is to jump onto a new ship and I'm sure there's some other options that other people can share. I think the other option and the savior because ideally surrounding yourself with um, an environment that sucks your energy and passion is, is not healthy on so many levels. Unfortunately, not everyone is close or has access or is in a position to switch schools. Like in small towns that I work in, there is no other school. This is the only school, the only grade level. This is why social media can transform what we're doing. Because what it does is it gives us a network, which is a lifeline. So my absolute first place to send teachers is Classroom 2.0, Steve, which is part of your legacy on the web is that you transform my life, so many teachers and leaders' life because you gave them a community. And even if it's a community of three other people who think like them, who you know behave like them, who see them, it goes back to the core. Someone said about Maslow's hierarchy earlier is that to know that you are not alone is so significant to your success. And that's what the network does. It's not about Twitter. I don't care if it's the network on Twitter, the network on Nings, or the network. It provides us, you know, you get to surround yourself now with anybody that you choose. And you do not, you cannot afford to surround yourself with someone who's not passionate. And if you have to deal with them in real life, then you deal with them and you get through it. But you have free range to passionate people online, 24-7. So I love those answers. And Amy, go ahead. Oh, I'll, I'll take that a step further. As an administrator, I mean, I, I feel like I'm on the other end of the spectrum here of the test score-driven administrators. I mean, yes, that's extremely important. We have to prove that students are learning to parents. However, um, if we don't have the passion and we don't let our teachers or even, I guess, expect it. I expect that as a principal. And one of the key questions in an interview is, what are you passionate about? And why are you in, in teaching? Um, if you just, if you expect it, then you're going to get it in your classroom. Go ahead, George.
George, your mic is on, but I'm not hearing anything. George, for some reason, your audio is not coming through. Although we do see your mic on, but not hearing any audio. Are you maybe on mute? Did you hit the mute button on your headset? Okay, so I want to shift the schools, and hopefully George will come back and, and address this. Uh, Tamara's question was, what are some first steps we could take right away to promote this in our schools? Go ahead, Lisa, and we'll wait for George. I'll, I'll start with that, uh, just piggybacking on what Angela said. And I think that it's a great point that your personal learning network is incredibly important. Um, so, and I see personal learning networks as being online and virtual as well as face-to-face. -face. So perhaps to start in your own school, one of the things I love is to capture best practices. I have a site that um, anyone could participate in called InnovateMyClass.org, and you can publish your innovation on that site and you'll see a whole bunch of other people's innovations. And what I suggest that teachers do and that principals allow teachers to do is share their innovation and hold a professional development session around that innovation. But I think publishing your work and sharing it and then being able to hold, uh, and I think someone, I think it was George was saying this earlier, but to empower teachers to hold professional development around the things they're passionate about is really important. And what I added in the chat is to bring students into that as well. So the student and a few of the students and the teacher together can promote that. So I think that publishing your work and sharing it in professional development is a really great way to help spread that throughout the school. Hello, can you guys hear me now? Yes, thank you, George, terrific. Okay, um, just kind of, I was actually going to say this on the last one too, so I, I kind of, it's like I knew the answer, or the questions that were coming up. I think that when we're talking about school and all of these things that are happening, I think it's an imperative that we have teachers that have lives, that it's, it's important that they go out and they, they're not at school till all hours of the night, they're not working um, at school till 10 or 11, because I think that the stuff that they do outside of school is so important. You know, uh, we had, I know one guy who was an assistant principal this year, and he had the opportunity to become um, a head coach of a college basketball team. Now, he knew he couldn't be assistant principal and do the college basketball team, so he went back to a teaching position. But I, I really believe he's going to make so much more of an impact because he's following what he loves. And people that do that and share that with their kids are, in, are inspirational. And if we're just seen as the teacher that all we do is live and breathe school, and that's all we do, that's not a real role model for the kids. We have to have those outside passions, whether it's sports, whether it's technology, whether it's our families, whatever it is. I think it's so important that we have those outside interests that we bring into the classroom to role model for our students. Um, can I add one thing on to that? Um, there we go. I was going to say, uh, this is something I talk about a lot too, but Facebook is a great way to do exactly what George is saying. And I, I wrote a post about this where I listened to a group of students at Science Leadership Academy and they shared why Facebook helps them uh, build the student-teacher connection because they get to find out about the pa the teachers get to find out about the passions of the students, students get to find out about the passions of the teachers, and they help them see each other as whole people. And that's built on to, um, from their school life to their personal life, and they do merge the two even though people say how horrible that is. They absolutely don't believe that at that school and teachers and students run races together. Uh, they play basketball together. They basket weave or whatever it is and they grow those relationships on Facebook and in the real world and in the classroom. So I'll share a link to that as well. Okay, so Peggy, we've reached our moment here. I'm clapping for our panelists. This has been a terrific um, time together and, and what great voices and obviously there was much more than we had time for. So you will be glad to know that on the Future of Education interview series, the same panel will come back on May 10th 
uh, and we can continue the conversation. Thanks to Angela, Amy, George, and Lisa. Uh, terrific contributions. Really appreciate being able to, to be with you today. And I'm going to turn it back to you, Peggy. Thank you so much, Steve, and to all of you on the panel. You have given us not only inspiration, but practical suggestions and really important, valuable food for thought. I know that we're all going to leave here after we recover from being totally exhausted and start thinking about how can we make this happen because we all know that we can do so much more when we're feeling passionate about what we do. We just seem to have unending energy when it's something we really care about. So thank you all for taking your time out today to inspire us and to help lead the way with this. And I will definitely be looking forward to the panel on Future of Education on May 10th. That'll give us time to come back with more questions to continue the conversation. Well, our conference day is coming to an end, and we do offer a certificate for anyone that would like to have one. And let me just find that link for you. Um, if you just go to this link, you can download your certificate and um, print it out. And <clears throat> the bonus right now is that we are going to have our last door prize drawing of the day. And Again, if you weren't in earlier sessions and you see people raising their hands, they were there before. You just need to raise your hand by clicking on the blue hand with the green arrow. You're going to get a number up there for you, and that's going to be your lucky number. And again, I can't thank Angela and Amy and Steve Farber enough for donating these wonderful books to us so that we can pass them on to you. So you have the opportunity to get The Passion Driven Classroom, Greater Than Yourself, the two radical books from Steve Farber, and a, a Classroom Habitude CD, which includes the entire book and additional resources that Angela has shared with us. So get those hands up, last chance, because I'm going to tell you, stop raising your hand so that the numbers don't change. And I am going into um, application sharing right now so that I can bring up our random number generator. OK, Kim, help me. What's our highest number? Time to stop raising your hands. At the moment, it's 128. 128. Oops, I got a seven there. OK. OK, so a number between 1 and 128. And we're going to be giving away six of these. Here's the first one. The number 70. Who is our number 70, Kim? Sandra. Sandra is. Okay, Sandra, Sandra is real. Somebody cleared all the hands. Yep. Oh, no. Well, I got okay. it before, okay. so everybody so put that was Sandra. Again. All right, so get those hands up quickly. Is the number still 128, Kim? It's, it's going up. up. Okay. Yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> OK, I'm going to 122. Okay. OK. 122, here's the next winner. 52. 52. Number 52. Lisa Mellon. All right, congratulations, Lisa. That's number two. Here's the third winner, number 95. Number 95. 95 is Judy Thompson. OK, congratulations, Judy. Got to close this up here. And the next winner is number three. We're finally getting a low number here. Number three. Jeff. Jeff, all right. So that's our, Jeff. Yep. That's our third winner, right? That's the fourth oh, one. Oh, that's fourth. OK, here's number five. Fifteen. Number 15. 
Sandra Garcia. Yay! Congratulations, Sandra. And here's our last winner of the day, number 59. And Diana Spratt. All right. Congratulations, Diana. So this is what we want you to do. I'm going to close my browser and the application sharing. And if you are one of our winners, will you please fill out that form and give us your email address and your snail mail address so we can send your prize to you. And thank you all so much for joining us for this day. And now we're about to move into the wrap-up of our conference. And before I turn it over to Ruth to uh, close our day out with, with uh, her message as the conference chair, I want to say a big shout-out to Troxel, who has been one of the valuable vendors sponsoring us today and who specifically sponsored this session. We really appreciate that support. So now, Ruth, I hope you have your mic on and are ready to take over. And I'm going to start right here with your slide. Are you ready, Ruth? Maybe we need to make you a moderator, do you suppose? Yes. Just one moment here. OK, now you should be at the top, Ruth, <clears throat> with the mic. Okay, I have two headsets on because we couldn't get the mic to turn on. But can you hear me now? Oh, please tell me you can hear me now. Hearing okay. you great, Ruth. Okay. So I looked for a metaphor of a, the curtains closing or something like that and couldn't come up with it. So we're sailing home after this conference. We could never have gotten off the shore if it hadn't been for our vendors, our volunteers, our participants, our presenters, all of those people. And I want to make sure, in case we missed them anywhere along the way, that you know that Learning.com sponsored our keynote. Asset sponsored Christi, uh, Alice Christie with Google Treks. Expresso Education sponsored the peer coaching with Shelley King George. The K Arizona K-12 Center sponsored the SmackDown, where everybody was having trouble keeping up with all the good stuff that was going on. And Troxel sponsored our closing panel. Dale gave us lunch at two of the hot spots, and we appreciate all of you very much. Oh, in the opening, I said learning.com. Oh, oh, illuminate. Well, yeah, the people that got us here so we could do all this stuff. <laughs> illuminate. I'm sorry about that. Um, so. We had three branches of the, uh, the a conference. It's not a convention. It's a conference. Communicate. And the one thing we'll ask you to do is early next week, probably Monday, you're going to get an email of feedback from the conference. Please communicate back with us and tell us what was good, what was bad, what was uh, otherwise. And just know, as I've always said in the face-to-face -face conferences, if anything was good today, it was somebody else that did it. If anything was bad today, it's all my fault. And somebody else gets to do this next year. So if you complain too much, you will be in the drawing to do it next year. Uh, collaborating, we saw tweeting, we saw blogging. Remind others about the archives so that they can uh, re-experience re this also. And hopefully you've done some things uh, as you've gone along, taken notes, so that you can still keep learning. In traditional learning, we talk and find in all cultures that they learn in circles, by telling stories, by celebrating, and by having reflections. As I've watched the blogs go through today, I've seen all of those happening. We talk about communication. We're asking you to take advantage of the opportunity to join AST. We are a non-denominational, that's in quotation marks, uh, organization. We belong to ISTE, and we are open to any platform and anybody who would like to join us. And today is the special, because you can do it for $25. And at midnight, that ends and won't come back again for a while. If you're in Arizona in particular, we'd like to invite you to watch the ASTE site for the uh, 
Quest Innovation Grants that will be advertised in August. And Quest has given us very generously um, about $95,000 to give out in classroom grants to people. And we love that. This is what that page looks like. And I encourage you, if you are in Arizona, to go to it and think about it. Again, going back to our three circles, you've been experiencing professional development on demand. And it's going to be available to you um, in a, a packaged version where it's not interactive, but it's there in the archives. Uh, you're going to get certificates. And if you missed it today, there's uh, the same website at the end of each session in the archives. We'll get you back there. And then you're going to give us feedback. Um, Okay. We tried to do professional development on demand, where you wanted it, when you wanted it, and how you wanted it. And hopefully, well, all of you have taken advantage of it. Um, and personally, I want to thank you for being part of this, to the volunteers, to the participants, and to all of you. And I'm hoping that you will take the challenge to continue to grow and learn and take risk and learn in other venues. And unless Peggy has something she wants to leap in here and tell you, my word for you is to go have a great afternoon and a great weekend and go back into the classroom or the workplace on Monday with passion, passion, passion. Thank you. <laughs>